and welcome to Standing in the Stream, a podcast for and about creative people. I am your host, John Lane. Our show today is part two of my conversation with poet, essayist, and publisher Bobby Bird. Since 1978, he and his wife, Lee Merrill, have lived in El Paso, Texas, where they run Cinco Puntos Press. Bobby has received a number of honors for his poetry, including a fellowship from the National Endowment for the Arts. He has a number of books of poetry, including his most recent, Otherwise My Life is Ordinary. Here is part two of our conversation. a a rather long poem. I don't know if we want to try to read the whole thing, but it's in a similar vein in your book on the transmigration of souls in El Paso, and it's one of those uh, transmigration poems. It's uh, number five on the transmigration of souls in El Paso, number five, and it it sort of tells the story of uh, Maria and her son Manuel, who are Mexicans and live in Juarez, and it sort of tells another another sort of not not the same kind of story, but a but a, another story, a very poignant, uh, melancholy sort of uh, story. And um, I don't know if you want to read a little bit of that one, or maybe just enough to point it out. And um... one of the things that I think with a poem like this and the poem that I read before is among uh, the poets of, especially Native Americans and African Americans and Latinos, Mexican Americans, Chicanos, is that there was always a um, sense of narrative as being something that was essential to their lives because they, they were intent on telling their story. And I always found that sort of interesting. So I, uh, a lot of my books have these sort of narrative points. Let me read this, the last part. Manuel no longer lives with his mother. He has his own family now, and they live in a very small house in the Colonia Fronterizo, perched on the top of a desert ridge. Maria loves to fix Manuel's lunch at our house, cooks him up the leftover beans or the soup, warms his tortillas. She doesn't warm her own. Maybe makes him a cheese sandwich without all the fixings from the fridge and gets him a Coca-Cola from the back room, pouring it over ice in one of our nicest glasses. Esta bien, she always asks me, meaning, is it all right for Manuel to have a Coke? Si, Maria, esta bien. In the mornings, Manuel, because he has a green card, walks to the United States across the bridge. If he's working at my house, he waits for his mother in the crowded, crowded, chattering plaza where the other men and women, illegales y legales, are also waiting for buses to go off to work. Manuel plugs earphones into his ears so he can listen to Jim Morrison moan about the meaning of love in a language he doesn't understand. He doesn't wait too long, though. He knows that sometimes his mother, Maria, never makes it because La Migra catches her and sends her back across. At night on those days when they have worked together at our house, Maria and Manuel will walk back together like everybody else across the El Paso Street Bridge into Mexico 
No questions asked. This pleases Maria very much to be with her son, Manuel, going home. So that was June 1986. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me about that. Yeah, I, I found those those two narrative poems to be just really melancholy and, and beautiful. And so, um, and that's int- I didn't know that about sort of uh, Latino poetry being uh, that the narrative aspect of it is so important. So, what are do you, can you think of some Latino poets that um, that you uh, that maybe have influenced you or that you find interesting? Well, you know, uh, 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 Jimmy Baca, Jimmy Santiago Baca, was actually very important to me, um, and also um, writers from like Neruda. I read, mm-hmm. and there was a Mexican poet I used to read a lot. I can't remember his name. And uh, I was very influenced by the Native American writer, uh, the Pueblo, the Acoma Pueblo uh, poet, uh, Simon Ortiz, hmm. and his ex-wife, Joy Harjo, actually, who's mentioned in the, uh, the she's the Joy Harjo was the lady who had the card, business card that said, uh, uh, the path has its own intelligence. Yeah. And, you know, the, the nice thing about... Uh, my period of life and living in this time is that the the people the the poetics of, of people of color are are influencing me instead of vice versa, which I like a lot actually. Well, let's let's make the transition to talk about another aspect of your life, and that is your uh, Zen Buddhism and your practice and and teaching. I first found your poetry in a magazine called Tricycle which is sort of a Buddhist magazine. And I read a couple of poems in there and then found out later that you were actually a Zen teacher and a longtime practitioner. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how Zen has found its way into your work and into your life? Well, you know, I think, um, you know, so growing up, we're going back to then, you know, a lot of the books that we were reading, uh, Snyder and Philip Whalen and, and Several other guys, uh, Ginsburg to an extent, you know, were very influenced by uh, uh, Zen uh, poetics, and they, you know, they were actually Snyder was just went over to the, he was uh, uh, Jaffe the, and Dharma Bum, the guy who went over to Japan and uh, you know studied with uh, yeah. Inside Boost over there. So right, uh, all those guys sort of. Influenced me, and you know, I'd read Alan. Uh, it's like being a poet. To be a poet, you have to to uh, uh, write poetry, and, and to be to be uh, a Zen practitioner, you have to sit on your ass. Wall, <laughs> 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 and I didn't learn that until uh, probably the nineties, hey, the late eighties, when I went started. Going up to uh, to Bodhi Mandala and sitting with uh, Sasaki Roshi and, and Rinzai Zen, which is very stringent. Boy, that was a you know it's sort of a scary place in a lot of ways uh, for a guy that didn't know anybody there, you know. But it was nice, I, you know. I learned a lot from him. He's one of those guys that was sort of outed recently, you know, last couple of years for you know his sexual misconduct. Yeah, um, unfortunately, there's a, you know, Brad Warner is a, a really interesting um, 
Buddhist uh, Zen Buddhist teacher. I don't know if you've ever read any of his books, but he he speaks out quite strongly about this idea that people put spiritual teachers sort of up on this pedestal, and that I, that of course I, you know they're just people and they um, they are fallible. And you know the Japanese construct is it was sort of you know it had this sort of sense of authority of starting from the top, Sasaki, and coming down. So it's it's a real Rough thing. Yeah, Brad is actually, uh, I recommend every book that Brad uh, has written. And he's been to El Paso a couple of times and sat with us. And, and uh, I, I, he's great. I, I'm a real fan. Yeah, I, d- I discovered his books uh, probably about, I don't know, four or five years ago, I guess. And uh, it was like he was, you know, writing it for me. <laughs> I was pretty sure he was talking exactly right. to me you know it, it just really struck that that chord of truth with me and uh so i've been following him ever ever since uh he came to houston oh it's been a couple of months ago to the houston zen center and did a book signing and a talk and so i got to i got to meet him but uh yeah i i would strongly recommend anybody interested in in zen or just good writing to read his his books and, and the nice thing about his books is it opens up then for uh, younger people. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, you know, anybody who, especially men, uh, who younger people who want to sit, I always recommend that sit down and shut up book. Yeah, it's yeah. real good. It's, it's a good introduction to Dogen and it's introduction to practice. This last, uh, this last book of his was actually, um, I, I, I go back to that all the time. But there is no God, and He is always with you. Yeah. Yeah, that oh boy, that was a great book too. I, I really enjoyed that one. Well, um, so maybe we could talk a little bit, or maybe read a poem that um, uh, from from your latest book, which has uh, quite a few poems that that sort of reference Zen or, or inspired by those. I, I earmarked a couple here, but I wonder if there's one maybe that you you would like to read. Uh, I'll re- actually I'll start with reading this poem. Actually, one of my favorite poems is uh, "Back Roads to Far Town." Everybody knows about the haiku, the great haiku, Japanese haiku poet. Oh, yeah. I love this one. Yeah, this is great. He, uh, he, he had a journal called Back Roads to Far Towns. Actually, it's a wonderful little book by White Pine Press that with nice illustrations uh, with a lot of the, the journal that he took on this journey around Japan where he was walking. And he really, if, if you read in the first of the he really doesn't expect to come back. Uh, but anyway, he traveled around and visited his friends. Uh, so this is called Back Roads to Far Town. I wish old Basho would come to my house, especially when it's winter, a paltry desert winter, winter warm enough this evening to sit outside in the city night, huddled up in a warm jacket and a good hat, the trees bare-boned, Oh, Basho and me, we will drink some red wine, a bottle of the 749 Merlot from the 7-Eleven, the one with the yellow kangaroo, and we'll swap stories like that one about the frog jumping in the pond. Splash! What's the story behind that, huh? Or maybe he'll want to know what's it's like to be pissing in the backyard with my two sons, the full moon like a Chinese coin. Ah, 
we'll sit there on our sorry asses, open mouth at the beauty of a dying cockroach. We'll write a few poems, three-liner thingamabobs, old man fingers, useless three-by-five index cards. I'll lose somewhere. Why not? The gate swings open and shut, open and shut, open and shut. The cockroach is the gatekeeper. Basho and me, we will empty that bottle of wine. Enough, he says. It's always exactly enough. That's a good one, I say. And we giggle, and the big bright moon dodges back and forth behind the clouds. Terrific and- poem. Yeah, that that one really captures that sort of idea of the the haiku and and there's an element of zen to it just a really great poem thank you let's maybe close our discussion today by talking about the creative path something that you wrote in the essay and you mentioned it earlier is uh your your friend joy and um she gave you this message and and you wrote joy's message was right this path, like any river, has its own intelligence. So how would you translate that into perhaps advice for people who are trying to create and sustain a creative life? Well, uh, I think, uh, as I say in that essay also, you know, as you go through your apprenticeship, and I believe in apprenticeships, by the way, you know, that's no shame in that, um, that, um, that you... You, you know, you start finding your way, and if, you, if you're serious about it, and as you find your way, um, you uh, learn to trust yourself, and you sort of slowly, bit by bit, quit copying other people. Uh, maybe you might still steal from other people, but you don't copy them, if that makes sense. Uh, but you uh, learn to uh, follow your own way, and actually... Uh, uh, Zen has helped me a lot in that. Is to is uh, uh, teaching myself not to be uh, to let things just go downhill. You know the way of the Tao. You know the water finds its own path, and to and to let yourself be open enough that you know you, you're not going to decide what path uh, you're going to take, but to let your being all the all the history of who you are. You know, all, after all the sort of your ideas of who you think you should be is sort of sloughed off, then you can sort of go on your own way. And you keep up with your your your, your writing, your reading. You read the books that you think are important to your uh, to your uh, to your uh, craft, and um, you listen to what other people say, and perhaps look into what books they suggest. You be open to. Uh, people and the ideas and and as you do that you know you'll find out first off that there's no right or wrong uh, but there's only your way of, of making whether it be a piece of music uh, a work of art or, or, or a poem it's going to be yours it's going to be uh, uh, yours and you're going to uh, uh, you put it down and you go to the next piece and it's just letting yourself uh, be instead of uh, having a, pre- a preconception. Well, one of the things that um, you mentioned also in your essay 
and I think you were just getting to this sort of point, uh, is you said uh, in your essay that you eventually got to a place where you could trust yourself. And that seems to be a really important step. And I think that's maybe what you were talking about just now is that point where you can trust yourself as an artist and as a creative person. The thing about writing and, 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 and rewriting actually also is to let yourself be free and um, not worry about good or bad, you know, and to, and to play, play with words. And actually, you know, to, to let, uh, computers are great for this, you know, you can just play with the language, you can look at them differently, you can see the line differently, you can cut stuff, you can bring it back, you can do all this stuff, and it's so, um, it, it's, it's so much fun, you know, and if, uh, the more you do, the more fun, the more, more possibilities that open up for you that you didn't know. All of us get into these sort of cliches of ourselves. You know, like, for instance, if you use the word death a lot, young people love to talk about death, and I was no exception, you know. And um, the uh, so I started in my poems when I went back to edit them. I would t change the word death to life, or I would change the word white to black, you know, just to see what where that, that would open up uh, uh, different things. And, you know, I've, I've had... Um, uh, three-page poems that, you know, I finally, uh, the only thing I liked in those poems were, you know, that I'd worked on for a long, long time. It might be three or four lines. And those three or four lines actually became, uh, in a number of instances, became very important to me and uh, important sort of signature of my work. So, um, I, I, and what happens is, in the creative process, I think, is that you let your ideas go about who you are and what your poem should look like. Mm -hmm. When I teach school, when I teach writers, I always have exercises where you do those indeterminate things where you have some sort of formula like um, uh, Barney used to have and, and Cage used to do all these weird things and Jackson McClough. And we would do these things. And I said, what you need to worry about is, is not to let, is to let yourself go because if you're using a dictionary, I promise that the point that comes out of using this dictionary is going to be yours as opposed to the guy next to you. It's going to be, your poem is going to reflect who you are. And the only way it's the most interesting thing in the world is no matter how, how odd way you get to your poem, it's always going to be your poem. It's not going to be somebody else's poem. And um, people don't believe that. You know, they want to say something. So many writers want to say something and, and be important and to do this and to be sort of a brilliant person. And that's not the uh, point of, uh, of poetry. Poetry is to be a poem, something that that sort of like a scalpel that can get into, you know, the um, Zen has that great word shin, which is heart mind or mind heart or whatever, that I very much believe in that this is an experience that that is more than mind and more than emotion, but is heart mind. And, um, and that's what a poem should do is to open that up that place in the psyche for a true experience. Beautiful and inspiring words, Bobby. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm so, I'm so happy you found me. It just made my day, especially because of all these other connections we had truly serendipitous. I think that's the right word. 
And with that, we conclude this episode of Standing in the Stream, Conversations with Creatives. Again, I'm your host, John Lane. You can follow me on Twitter, at ThatJohnLane. You can find the show links and show notes on my website, john-lane.com, and follow the show on Facebook. Simply search for Standing in the Stream. Thanks to Danny Clay for our theme music. You can find him online at dclaymusic.com. I'll be back next time for more conversations with creatives. Thanks for listening.